Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. Well, good morning again. As we gather here this morning, we're going to begin a new series, and we're going to begin with this thought of who we are. So here's a question, who are you? Well, as you ponder that, maybe deeply ponder who you are, you can answer that in a lot of ways. It really is this, who are we? Who are we as a people gathered here at Holy Savior, as God's people? And as we do that this morning, we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians 13. And 1 Corinthians 13, where do we most often hear these words of Scripture? Weddings. How many of you heard these at a wedding? How many of you married had this at your wedding? How many don't remember? <laughs> you know, we, we often hear this. It is a great passage for a wedding, for a couple who's standing together before God, family and friends, to celebrate the love that they share. And so when we hear this, we often think about weddings. But you know what? When I hear this scripture, this 1 Corinthians 13, I think about Oreos. Oreo cookies. You know, Oreo cookies are the top-selling cookie in the world since 2014. Did you know that? Yes, they're awesome. They're also dangerous because you just can't have one Oreo cookie. You know, and, and growing up, I used to think, you know, I was getting ripped off because we almost always got the Hydrox cookies. Have you ever had the Hydrox cookies before? Does it, did you even, how many of you don't even know what the Hydrox cookies are? Like, you know, Hydrox cookies, you know, I thought we were getting the cheap version of the Oreos. I found out that originally we were getting the original ones. Hydrox that came before Oreos. Oreos is the, you know, imitation. But Oreos, it made me think of 1 Corinthians 13. We'll get into that a little bit more as we explore you know, who we are when we get into the text here. Now, how many of you want an Oreo cookie? <laughs> like, I'm just going to think, like, is he going to get the Oreos out after worship? I don't know. I'm hungry. Let's begin by going to our Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift of this beautiful day and for the gift of this new year. Lord, bless us as we dig into your word and we dig in to explore who we are. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, who we are. So here's what I'm going to do. Who we are. The first thing about who we are is this, that we are a gathering of people. Now, you kind of say, well, duh, right? But we are a gathering of people. What does that mean? Well, Paul gets into this in 1 Corinthians about who these people are. He says these words here, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Let's read these words together. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the word that Paul is using here, and we used this word before in a series last year, exploring you know, what the church is, is a Greek word called, I can't even say the word now, Ecclesia, man, nah, 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 nah. Maybe I need some Oreo cookies to kind of get my tongue loosened up. And Ecclesia is a simple word. It just means a group of people called together for a purpose. And if you remember, maybe in this series, I'll kind of trigger your memory here. We talked about what does it mean to be this gathering of people, this church, that we are kind of like a team, but we're really not, we're not a team, you know? We're kind of like, you know, so we talked about all these things, but Ecclesia means a gathering of people. Now, let's take a look at these group of people in this church in Corinth. Because I think in a lot of ways, we're kind of like those folks in Corinth. And that in Corinth, you know, without getting into all the details of Corinth, you can explore that on your own if you want. You know, they're by the GNC, just kind of Mediterranean, probably warm right now, sun is shining. 
Actually, they're probably seven or eight hours ahead of us, so maybe the sun is setting. Oh, but, you know, beautiful place. But because of where it was located, it was kind of the crossroads of a lot of trade. So people from all over, you know, the world, the known world at that time, came to this place. And so this group of Jesus followers, this gathering of Jesus followers, were made up of different people. You had people that were, were Jewish people. They were, they were Jewish believers. And not just Jewish believers, you know, from just there in Corinth, but from all over the known world. And then you had the Gentiles and non-Jewish believers, again, that came from parts of, of Africa and, and Asia, Asia and all those areas that gathered there and found they could prosper there and make a living. So as Paul writing this letter to this group of Jesus followers gathered here, he's writing this letter to a group of people who were, well, they're not, you know, monocultural. They've got diversity in their culture and their ethnicity. And so as I think about, you know, us here, well, we're, you know, Nebraskans, maybe not all lifelong Nebraskans, but we are Nebraskans. And, and we have a lot of similarities, but yet we have our differences. We don't all think the same. I mean, there might be some of you out there that think Oreos are disgusting. I'm just looking to see if anybody's shaking their head and saying, yes, I think they're terrible. <laughs> I mean, we might all agree they're not healthy for you, but they're so good. Just like the crawlers, like, come on, open it up, eat one. Then I'd have, you know, like, like the crumbs over my face. But this gathering of people, you know, gathered together, came from different backgrounds, different life experiences. So as you think about, you know, who we are, we are a group of people who are gathered together from different life experiences, different backgrounds. Yes, there are some similarities, and we, and we have a sense of why we're gathered, because we're gathered because, you know, God is faithful, as Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 1, that he is faithful, and he calls us together. He brings us together. You know, one faith, Paul writes elsewhere, one Lord, one baptism. So who are we? We are people who are called together, gathered together. And let's continue this on. We are people who are a gathering of people who are striving to act like a family. And this gets more into the sermon that we had, I think it was August of this last year. We said, well, we're kind of like a team, but really not like a team. We're kind of like a staff at a business or something like that, but really not like that. We're actually we're more, a lot more like a, a family. In fact, you know, there's a lot of scripture that talks about brothers and sisters in Christ. Even here in Corinthians, Paul uses that, that language, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that God is our Father. And so we're striving to be like a family. Now, when I talk about family, and we just got off the holidays, so you know what family's like. I don't see any more. <laughs> you know what family, family, ha family has like that, you know, crazy uncle. You're like, oh, I'm going to be the crazy uncle again. That's probably Uncle James. <laughs> the Uncle James, he's crazy. You know, or, or the, you know, the, the, the uncle and the aunts and some of the others who are like, oh, you know, our, our, our nephews and nieces, especially those, they're coming. They're a little bit off in the deep end, you know. But we're like a family. And one thing about being a family is that, you know, we gather together. We strive to be like a family, even though we are diverse, even though we are different. A family is committed to each other. A family belongs to each other. A family is there, even though there may be that crazy uncle or the niece and nephew that are off on the deep end, we are still together as a family. And so who we are is, as we look at that church in Corinth, they were a group of people 
from diverse backgrounds with diverse ideas, and it was not a perfect family. They were having issues. I mean, Paul never wrote, you know, a nice long letter saying, you guys are doing such a great job. You are phenomenal. You have nothing to work on. He often gave them some praise, but he often said, now let me talk about some things you guys need to work on to help you grow in your faith, to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be like a family. So we're this gathering of people from diverse backgrounds, striving to be like a family. Now, our family's perfect. Well, most of you must have perfect families, or you don't want to say no because someone's sitting next to you. Um, <laughs> families are not perfect. But family is often a place where you belong. Even though they are or you are different, it's a place you belong. And so as we strive to be like a family, we strive to create a place, an atmosphere, a relationship where we belong and where we share God's love. Because as we strive to be like a family, we are a family who is, and we're going to add to this now, we are a gathering of people striving to act like a family committed to serving in love. Now maybe the Corinthians passage is becoming a little more like, oh, I kind of maybe see where we're going to go here because it talks about Love. Still haven't talked about why the Oreos connect, but we'll get there momentarily. We are gathering with people striving to act like a family committed to serving in love. In fact, this verse here, Paul gets into talking about some of the tension that's going on here. 1 Corinthians 12, 31b, the last little part there. Read this with me. So I will show you a much better way. Now, let's talk about the Oreos. Now I'm just going to eat these in front of you. You know, what makes an Oreo an Oreo? Yeah, the stuff, the, the filling, the stuff in the middle. I mean, and if, if it wasn't for the stuff in the middle, it would be just two chocolate cookies. But really, what makes an Oreo an Oreo is you get that, that feeling, that, mmm. I mean, I don't know, maybe you like the double stuff filling. All the little extra stuff. Because if the filling wasn't there, it just quite wouldn't be an Oreo. <laughs> you know, as Paul is writing this letter to these Christians in Corinth, he's, he's writing a letter to a, a, a group of people who are a gathering of people striving to be like a family committed to loving each other, except for they were having issues. And in, if you go back, if you want to later today, if you read 1 Corinthians you get to verse 12 and then or chapter 12 and 14. Paul's talking a lot about like spiritual gifts and, and speaking in tongues. And they're prioritizing all of these things. And Paul is saying, look, if you do that, if you do that, what you're having, if I can do this without breaking the cookie apart, what you're doing is you're having two separate cookies, but you're missing something. You're missing the most important thing that kind of glues this all together. That's the cream filling. Or as Paul calls it, that's love. In fact, he says in verse 8 of 13. Let's read this together. I am bankrupt without love. That's from the message, which is a paraphrase, not a translation. But I like the way that says that. I am bankrupt without love. This is what Paul gets into. He gets into describing them. Look, you know, as a family, when a family gathers together, you know, we serve. Just like you might do when you gather with family. And you have some that are better at serving than others, but we serve. The difference, though, is that we serve with love. So as Paul is writing this, this wonderful passage that we use often at weddings, which again is okay for weddings, but he's really talking about a gathering of people who are striving to be like a family 
committed to serving and love. And then he begins to describe what this love is. If he's, I'm bankrupt without this love, here's what this love is all about. It's just so tempting. So let's take a look here. Let's kind of read through this text and let's touch on each element here. So next slide here. So when Paul talks about love, and this again is from the message because I thought it's just a, a little bit easier translation or paraphrase actually to read through whatever translation you enjoy reading. First thing he says, love never gives up. Now, if you're familiar with the passage, you usually say, love is what? Love is patient. Yeah, I like this. Love never gives up. Love is patient. Because, you know, this love reflects whose love? It reflects God's love. I mean, so when I think about, like, an Oreo cookie is made, I, don't, I, didn't, I should watch a video, I have a video I was made, but that splotch of, you know, cream filling there, that, that love that is in this cookie, in this, in this gathering of people we call Holy Savior, who we are, is God's love. And God's love is what? Patient. God's love never gives up. God never says, I'm so tired of you. You just forget you. God, God always loves. God is always longing to love us and forgive us and call us back to him. No matter how many times we've screwed up, no matter how many times we've run the same path, we've done the same sin, God's love is patient. God's love never gives up. And so he calls us to that same love, a love that does not give up on one another, a love that is patient with one another. That love is also a love that cares for others more than itself. Again, because whose love is this love reflecting? God's love. And, you know, God being God, God is not like selfish. God cares more for us than he cares for himself. So much so that he, you know, we just got done celebrating Christmas. He wrapped himself in human flesh, stepped into the world in his son, Jesus Christ, you know, and lights not far away, for those of you who know the church calendar, it's coming up in February. And then with Lent, we focus a lot on what this love came to do. A love that cares more for others than itself. Because again, you know, we serve one another, but we don't just serve one another. We serve one another in what? In love. A love that is patient, a love that never gives up, a love that is not selfish, a love that cares for others more than itself. Just as God cares more for us. It's also a love that doesn't want what it doesn't have. We'll go back. Thank you. A love that doesn't want what it doesn't have. It's not envious. It's a love that, that celebrates what others have. It's a love that it is embraced with what it has. It's a love that, again, flows from the love that God has for us. The love that God has for you and Jesus. Now you can go to the next slide. It's also a love that doesn't strut. <laughs> you know, look what I have. You know, look what I did. It's a love that shows humility. Again, Humility. We talk about Jesus and the love that he has for us. You know, he humbled himself to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law so that he could redeem those, he could save those who were under the law. But he humbled himself even to dying on the cross. It's a love that doesn't say, look at me, look at me, but a love that longs to serve and to share with others. 
And that same, you know, strain is a love that doesn't have a swelled head. I love that. I love that paraphrase. I don't know what a swelled head looks like. I mean, metaphorically, I do. I don't know what a swelled head would look like, you know, if that actually happened to you. Your head was just big and gigantic. But a swelled head, a love that's not full of itself. But again, a love that is full of love for others, a love that gives. It's a love that also doesn't force itself on others, doesn't push itself, but a love that is always available for others. Just like God doesn't shove his love on us, but his love is always available. And faith in Jesus, we, we receive that love. And the Holy Spirit fills us with that love, kind of again like the oil, filled with that love, and then we share that love. It's a love that isn't always me first. And think about that, how easy it is for us to be a me first. We may not think that we're me first, but think about it for a moment. How many of us, and maybe in certain parts of our lives, are me first? You know, I am. In our culture, it's easy. We're often told, this is me first. I'm not happy. What's in it for me? What's the best thing for me? How do I get ahead? And we even do that here in our church, you know, family. We sometimes, you know, put me first. Imagine if God had put me, not me first, but God saying to himself, I'm going to put me first. We would all be in the same bad situation we're in right now without God, without the assurance of his love and forgiveness and all of his promises. But God didn't put himself first, put us first. Again, that's why he stepped into the world in the flesh, in Jesus. It's also a love that doesn't fly off the handle. The other the translation would be, is not easily angered. I don't know if you know anybody that flies off the handle. Or maybe you had those moments when you fly off the handle. I've said this before, and I say it because I say it jokingly, but yet it is a frustration of mine, the roundabout at 14th Superior. <laughs> You know, our, in our high school education, we were talking about, you know, driving lessons, and you think about not the youth learning to drive, but how the parents are maybe when they're teaching their kids how to drive, and you fly off the handle. But it's a love, again, that doesn't fly off the handle, that doesn't lose control. It's a love that rests in God's love. Next slide. All right, so also, this love, this love doesn't keep a score of the sins of others. So in other words, it keeps no record of wrongs. Again, it reflects whose love? God's love. Because God is not up there going, there he did it again. James is at the roundabout, got frustrated, said something. I'm going to write this down. No, and that's the same way we are called to love one another. That we don't keep a record of wrongs. That we are willing to forgive again and again. It's a love that revels, doesn't revel, sorry, when others grovel, when others are struggling or begging. It's not like, yes, I got the power. But it's a love that is willing to give and share. It's a love that takes pleasure in the flowering of the truth, that the truth is spoken and lived. Next slide. We'll keep moving here. It's a love that puts up with anything. I could just let that sink in for a moment. A love that puts up with anything. How easy is it to put up with anything? How many of you lose your patience to get frustrated with other people? Maybe the people sitting right next to you. I'm glad I have no one next to me. 
But it's a love that puts up with, I mean, God puts up with all of our shenanigans. All the silly, gooey things we say and do. It's a love that says, I love you. No matter who you are and what you've done, no matter where you've been, I love you. That's God's love, and that's the love that he calls us to. It's a love that trusts God always. It always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. In other words, it's a love that hopes and trusts in God's love, in God's presence with us. Let's go back to that, that phrase again, that statement that we were building here. As we look at Corinthians, we look at this love. Think about Oreo cookies again. And read this with me. We are a gathering of people striving to act like a family committed to serving in love. So I'm going to give you a challenge um, as we go forward in this new week. I like to do that because I, I like you to not just sit here and then go. And you tend to get more out of this if you would take and do something. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. If you've got a smart device like this, I want you to open it up, open the camera, zoom in a little bit. Hit it so it's focused. Take a picture and see if you can memorize this by next week. Do it right now. Come on. Placate me even if you're just going to take your phone out. So I'm not going to just, there you go. Do that, you know, or write it out real quick. See if you can memorize this. And, and let's just challenge ourselves. Because again, we say who we are. This is not just a fancy phrase. This is, is rooted in scripture. I mean, it's not only rooted in 1 Corinthians, but it's rooted in a lot of this area, this idea of love of who we are striving to be. We, say this with me again, we are a gathering of people striving to act like a family committed to serving in love. And that love, that love, just like the Oreo cookie, that love is what binds us together. That's love that makes all of our serving, all of our actions, everything much more richer, more fuller than they would be without that love. And the love that we share with one another and all those we encounter. That love is filled with the love that God has for us. The love that he has for you in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this amazing day. We give you thanks and praise that you've gathered us together, Lord. People from a variety of backgrounds who have shared histories, similar histories, and very different histories. Who have passions that are, you know, shared with others and who might like different teams than other people like, and all that kind of stuff, and might have different ideas about how things should happen or not happen. Lord, you brought us together. So, Lord, as you bring us together with the diversity and yet also the similarities we have, we thank you for that we are brought together in your grace and your love. You've called us by the power of the Spirit through our baptism, through faith. You've called us together. And, Lord, we pray that you'd also, as we strive to act like a family, we act like a family that is committed to serving in love and the love that you have for us in Jesus. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time.